Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. If you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at White Hill, head to our website at whitehill.church and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now. So starting at verse 1 in chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, You are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Thanks, Brad. Good morning. It's lovely to be back. Awesome to commission our interns as well this year. We are really excited to be working with them. They are an awesome team already. We've already had a couple of weeks um, together, and it's been great so far. Um, We started youth on Friday, and of course, they've already been doing strange internship jobs that only come with youth ministry. Um, Friday, they lathered up a medicine ball that was dressed like a pig with petroleum jelly. So don't ask too many questions about that, Um, but that's just one of the things they've already done. But... They also have done some serious things. They, um, they helped me plan the spiritual input for this year um, for youth. And we're really excited to be also sharing um, with our young people on Fridays um, passages and stories from the Gospel of John where we're focusing on how Jesus transformed the lives of the people around him and how we too can live in that same transformation. And maybe one of the most amazing examples of this is what we've just read in John 5. So what we're going to do is look at this passage today and see how Jesus empowers empowers us to actually get up and walk and live this life of transformation and empowerment that he has for us. Um, I think we too often get sold a cheap version of Christianity um, where really it's just an attendance model where we come and arrive and go back to our normal lives and nothing really changed for us post-conversion. But I want to share with us today an example for us, an encouragement for us, 
that if we're willing to get up and walk, that God actually has a life of transformation for each of us. So we're going to get straight back into the text um, in verse 1. Um, so if you have your Bibles, join me there. Otherwise, it's up on the screen. So again, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, was a pool, which Aramaic was Bethsaida, or Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there he, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. So the first thing we're told here is that Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, it's not specific about which festival it is, which is strange because John is usually quite specific about that. Um, and because John's specific in other areas, we know that it's not one of the three festivals um, that Jesus would have been actually required to go to as a Jewish man. So um, Jewish men had to make the journey there for the Feast of the Tabernacles, um, the Feast of Pentecost, and for Passover. So we know it's not one of those three. And that tells us that he wasn't actually obligated to be in the area at the time. But he chose to move, he chose to journey to Jerusalem and to be there for this feast maybe with this specific encounter in mind. And he comes to this place described as being near the Sheep Gate. It's called Bethesda, or another way of saying that is Bethsaida. Um, and in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, um, Beth almost means place or house of. Um, so when you think about Bethlehem, that's house of, lehem, bread. So Bethlehem, house of bread, the bread basket of the area. So when we look at um, Bethsaida or Bethesda, Beth is house of, and Seder is God's loving kindness or mercy. So Jesus arrives at the scene at a place named House of Mercy. But by the time he gets there, it really is just a house of misery, right? Because we've just seen from this passage that it's a hangout for the sick and the lame and the blind and the ill. It's not a place of mercy. It's a place of illness and misery. And some scholars suggest that even around these pools, which aren't massive that there would be 300 people a day who would be laying there sick and ill or disabled, whatever it is. And even during festival times, this number could be doubled or tripled. So there would have been a crowd of people who were unwell. And you can imagine this is not the type of place where the socially respectable or the honoured members of society would come and hang out. You can imagine the, the filth and the smell of people who can't control themselves or keep themselves or um, upkeep their own hygiene people who can't look after themselves. You can imagine the anguish of people who had been suffering year after year. And the NIV describes them as disabled, lame, blind, paralyzed. What I thought was interesting is that in the King James Version, which I wouldn't usually read or study from, um, but <laughs> just a little clarify there. Um, in that version, they translate that word, instead of invalid in the NIV, they use the word um, impotent. Now, that's kind of come to mean something else now. But originally, impotent just meant somebody who is unable or didn't have the strength to better themselves or to do anything or care for themselves. And the reason why I bring that up is because we're about to see this incredible contrast in the life of this man and also in our own lives. The contrast is a man who is impotent meeting a man who is omnipotent. 
a man who is a man who is impotent meeting a man who is omnipotent a man who is powerless meeting a man who is all powerful and a man who is helpless meeting a man who is the ultimate helper see Jesus knew this man before he even knew Jesus Jesus had laid eyes on this man and knew him and picked him specifically out of a crowd of people to have this interaction and I just want to stop here before we move on and say that Jesus sees you. He sees you. Not in like a creepy elf on the shelf sort of way where he's, you know, watching out to see if you're going to get cold this year. But he sees you in a way where you don't have to feel alone in your suffering, in your isolation, in your sense of inadequacy. He sees you. He knew you before you were knit together in your mother's womb. And he sees you today regardless of how much you've tried to hide from him, run from him, or regardless of how much you're convinced that he doesn't care for you. He knows your story. He knows your wounds. He knows your hurts. And he sees you. And today he wants to just offer that next step into a life of transformation in him. Some of you may have heard Julia and I were stuck in America with COVID, um, which was super fun. Um, So... For me, being sort of like high energy activity, especially, you know, in America, there's so much to do and places to see and to eat. And I just wanted to run around and see everyone and do everything. Getting stuck in a hotel for seven days was an absolute nightmare. I hated it. And on top of that, pretty much what my day looked like was waking up, having some medicine, having a piece of bread, which I couldn't taste, going back to sleep, waking up, going back to sleep, and that was about it. Like, it was pretty frustrating for me who just wants to get out and do things, right? But sort of in reflection, I'm aware that, like, I'm still incredibly blessed to be this healthy. And I know that many of you here and many of friends and family would have been suffering conditions that last a lot longer than seven days, maybe weeks, months, decades. And even for this man, almost four decades of being paralyzed in this condition. And in comparison to that seven days that I experienced, I can't even imagine the depths of frustration and suffering that this man would have gone through. But everything was about to change for him when Jesus walks onto the scene. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? And then he replies like this. He says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, if you thought that was a weird response, you would be correct. That's a weird response to saying, you know, do you want to be made well? But the reason he's saying this is because there was a common belief um, in this area around these pools that on specific occasions, an angel of the Lord would come and stir up the water and make it bubble up, right? And the first person to jump into that water and touch the bubbling water would be healed, which is kind of crazy. It's actually included in later manuscripts of John, sort of added in from oral tradition. But we know now that they've actually found this place and we know that it was just an aqueduct that sort of fed water into these pools and at times the water would rush in and bubble up and that, that was it. It wasn't any sort of you know, special healing power or healing angel. Yet this man had a genuine belief that if he got into this water at the right time as it bubbled up that he would be healed. So for 38 years, he waits at the top of the steps trying to drag himself with his upper body, with no one to help him to get into the water. And every time he tries and uses what strength he has, he realizes once again how helpless he is because somebody else just gets in before him. Convinced that he would be healed, he wouldn't even be able to make it in the water in time. 
He was completely helpless. And this is such a cruel way to perceive God's healing power, like some sort of torturous game where God's willing to heal the fastest of the lame, right? It doesn't make any sense. You know, if you're the second or third fastest of all the disabled people, well, bad luck, you don't get healed. It's pretty brutal. But Jesus doesn't withhold his power from us like that. What we see from this interaction is that Jesus wants to help the helpless. His heart is for the helpless. His heart is one of mercy and compassion and for those who cannot help themselves. And I wonder if you've ever heard that line that God only helps those who help themselves. If you have, I can confirm for you today that that is not in the Bible. (laughs) Somebody's made that up. That's a con that's not true. God wants to help people, especially those who cannot help themselves. Some of us are living today with this sense of guilt that God doesn't want to help us. He doesn't want to be involved in our lives or heal us or bless us. Maybe because we aren't good enough, we're not capable enough as you know, a worker or a father or a mother or a husband. Some of us are convinced that Jesus is withholding his power from us in our state of hopelessness. But I want to encourage you today that that is not true. He especially sees you in your moments of helplessness and desires to help you in that way, regardless of your ability, regardless of your status, regardless of your situation. And he helps us in many ways. As a church, we believe in physical healing. We believe that just as this man was transformed physically, that we too can be transformed and healed physically from any illnesses or ailments or conditions. So I'd encourage you, as Scripture encourages us, to pray and ask God for healing, but also to ask for the prayers of others over your current situation and believe and trust that God desires to help you. As a church, we believe that God can heal broken relationships and miraculously change your situations. I think God's glory is made all the more evident in our own helplessness when we realize there's nothing that we can actually do in that place. And the only way forward or the only way to overcome is if God actually comes through with his divine help and omnipotence that we so desperately need in those moments. I've seen relationships restored. I've seen jobs be offered out of the blue. I've seen financial provision. I've seen people healed. And I just encourage you today, if that you've lost your sense of faith in God's ability or desire to help you in your helplessness, would you just trust in him again this morning? Reach out to him again and ask for that help. And we also believe that God has the power to grant us help and salvation um, in our most uh, pressing and problematic issue, which is that our issue of sin. He gives us salvation in him. And that's not a team effort. It's not a two-man rescue team. We're not the, we were the ones who were dead. I don't know if you've ever seen a dead person dig themselves out of a grave. I sure haven't. But we were dead, right? Our sin, our rebellion against God brought upon us a spiritual death. And some of us may be in that place today where we haven't turned in faith to Jesus. And that death extends beyond this life and into eternity, a Christless eternity, a separation from God in a place that Jesus himself describes as a place of suffering and weeping. But in God's great mercy, he sends his son Jesus to die for the forgiveness of our sins, to rise again on the third day, Christ our victor, helping us in our helplessness. He offers us salvation through faith in him and eternal life. Jesus personified this house of mercy. We get to spend eternity with him if we receive that gift. 
So I want to encourage you, if you haven't realized that need, that's your greatest issue at the moment. Not your finances, not your relationships, but your problem of sin. And if that's not dealt with in the work of Jesus on the cross, then that will be very problematic for you for the rest of your future. Jesus is the helper of the helpless. He wants you to know that he sees you and he wants to transform your life, whatever it is that you're facing. If we read again from verse 6 through to 9 this time, um, we'll see exactly how Jesus healed this man. So again, when Jesus saw him laying there and he learned that he had been in the condition, he said, do you want to get well? And he replied, I have no one to help me down while I'm trying to get in. Somebody else goes before me. Then he says this. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. You may be surprised by this, but uh, one of my favorite sports in high school was basketball. Yes. I know what you're thinking. Not exactly built for basketball. That's where I'm going with this. But I would, I would play every single break at school. Loved it. We would go and shoot hoops for as long as we can, every single day. And even after school, I used to go and find, you know, courts that were sort of lit up by the, the highway late at night. And my friend and I would go and play until the neighbours um, would chase us out for being too loud. But one of these nights, my tall, athletic friend, who also happened to be our best high jumper in the school, was convinced that being able to jump up and dunk the basketball in the hoop was not about height, but it was about technique, right? So he sold me on this lie that if I just held the ball the right way and if I just ran up in the right sort of angle of approach and I'd use the right legs and technique to jump, that I would be able to dunk. And you know what? I bought into the lie. I tried. So there I am late at night, back and forth, running up and down. I can do this. I can do this. Hardly even reaching the net, never mind the hoop. And I was convinced until I wasn't, that it really was impossible. Like this five foot nothing me, that is an impossible task to be able to jump up and dunk and basketball. And I don't think it's going to be getting any better. I think it's going to be getting worse in my years to come. But I thought it was kind of cruel that he had given me this sense of like, he's given me this impossible task that I clearly was never going to be able to achieve. And I was thinking about this because of the question that Jesus asked this paralyzed man. He says, do you want to be healed? Like, how do you think you would respond to that? You say like, oh no, I actually really like just sitting down here in my own filth. It's good, it's good view, nice pool, love the smell, gotten used to it. Like that's really nice. Why would he ask that? Do you want to get well? And then he gives him the impossible task. He says, get up and walk. Like, yeah, forgot about trying that. Just been sitting here thinking something else would happen. Like, oh, I should just stand up and use my legs. Like, why? Why, Jesus? I don't know if you've had those moments when you read Scripture and you're like, why, Jesus? What is this about? Why would you say something like that? It would have been cruel for Jesus to give him the impossible task of walking if he then wasn't prepared to actually grant him the healing and empower him to live out the command to get up and walk. And so too does God divinely empower us to get up and walk into the calling that he places on our lives. He's never going to command or call you to do something that he does not also divinely empower you to do. Now, don't get that confused with he's never going to lead you into a situation or call you into something that's too difficult for you because he definitely will. That's the whole point because then he wants to empower you to do something that wasn't possible, that was impossible if it was just in your own strength. Think of Moses, the man with the stutter. 
God says, go and you know, lead the nation out of slavery. And he says, it, it's impossible, I'm not able. But God says, go anyways. And he empowers him and he did it. Think of Peter being called out by Jesus to walk on the water. The impossible task made possible because in obeying the command, Peter found the capacity. In obeying the command, he found the capacity. And so that too can be for us. We know that Jesus has the desire to help us in our helplessness. We know that he can divinely empower us by the Spirit of God, the all-powerful Spirit of God living inside us. But then I have to ask myself the question that why so often do we feel stuck in a life that doesn't look empowered and doesn't feel transformative? And I want to suggest today that many of us are not living that transformed or empowered life because when we, are, when we hear the question from Jesus, do you want to be made do, well, do you want to be healed? We're either too distracted to listen or we just blatantly slap the hand away and reject him. For this man, he's lived for 38 years like this. 38 years. That's 38 years of not having to pay tax. That's 38 years of not having an annoying boss. That's 38 years of not having to, you know, pay rent or have a house. That's 38 years of just being given money, right? Of course, there is the physical condition, But for him, Jesus was actually being kind and asking, do you want to be healed? Because now if he's healed, well, then he has to go find a house. He has to find a job. Potentially, he's going to be working hard, laborsome work in the sun for less money than he would have made as a beggar. He's going to have more responsibility and steward the blessing of good health. And the same goes for us. When God calls us into something or gives us his word, a better way forward, we often just choose to remain in our current state to remain in our filth, our unhappiness, our boredom, because it's easier. It's easier than embracing the challenge and responsibility that comes with actually living out the calling of Jesus on our lives. So I guess we need to ask ourselves, do we really want to see change in our life? Do we actually want to be healthier physically, spiritually, emotionally? Do we want to be a part of God's mission to seek and save the lost? Do we want to be better leaders in our workplaces, in our families, in our ministries? Do we want to have more meaningful relationships with family or with our spouse? What is Jesus calling us to that seems impossible in this moment? Or maybe is it just easier to remain where we are? You know, we're the most burnt out and exhausted society the world has ever seen. Yet when we hear the voice of our loving saviour in Matthew 11 saying, come to me, come to me, you who are tired and heavy burden, I will give you rest for your souls. You know what we choose to do? We just choose to lay there and scroll on our phones again. And we reject that offer to actually come to him and receive that healing. Or maybe for you it's bitterness and anger because of everything you're seeing going on in the world. Just cause this constant underlying angst and anger against everything, and that sometimes turns against others as well. It's easier to remain in that place than actually obey the words of Jesus to forgive others in Matthew 6, or to love our enemies in Matthew 5, or maybe it's something specific. Maybe it's something specific that God's calling you into, that even in this moment, you sense that deep sense of conviction, that passion that he's placed on your heart. Maybe it's for a person or an opportunity maybe even a nation, but you've been pushing it aside because even though you understand cognitively that God's going to empower you, that the challenge and the additional responsibility of that opportunity just seems 
like too, too hard. But I want to encourage you, don't become content. Don't become content in your weakness. Don't become content in your spiritual and emotional exhaustion. Don't become content in your bitterness. And definitely don't become content in your inactivity in the mission of God. Hear the voice of the one who sees you and calls you by name and then get up and walk into this transformative and empowered life with Jesus. There's so much more in this text in terms of um, how Jesus is relating with the religious leaders. This is sort of the the start of sort of downhill of his ministry in terms of his persecution all the way to um, his death. And we read there that the Jews see a man who's been lame for 38 years walk and the first thing they say is, Why are you carrying your mat that's heavier than two figs, which is forbidden in Jewish law on the Sabbath? You'd think you'd be at least a little bit excited. But with all of that chaos going on, Jesus focuses in his attention again to this man. And I want to just finish before we get practical here with this last encounter in verse 14. And what we're going to see here is that if we're going to live a life of transformation and a life of empowerment by God, then Jesus also expects our repentance. In verse 14, Jesus, um, we know that he slipped away from the crowds and the man didn't know who he was and then he's gone and encountered him again later. And it says here, it says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now for anyone who thinks Jesus was uh, passive and non-confrontational, do you want to just read that verse again? (laughs) He says, You're well, that's great, but stop sinning. Like, That's pretty direct. Stop sinning. And in some way, like it's sort of, I guess, assuming a a connection there between his previous condition and his sin. But what we do know is that Jesus is more concerned about the state of our spiritual lives than he is of our physical lives. Of course, he's willing to heal this man physically, but as a means to an end to address the biggest problem, which is the sin in his life. It's devastating. It's far more devastating than his paraplegia. Living a life of transformation and empowerment doesn't just mean we get to pick and choose the words of Jesus that we're going to act on, but it's that we come under the lordship and the authority of the king of this universe. And he expects that in the ways that we're not honoring him, in our behaviors and our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, the things that we do and don't do, that he expects our repentance, an attitude of repentance and a commitment to flee from the sin in our lives. Not because he's made a whole bunch of rules as a controlling or sort of vindictive God, but rather his law is an extension of his character. It's a stream of life in a wasteland of a confused and broken world. It's an ancient path of truth in which we best experience life as God has intended for us, all for the glory of this perfect and holy God. And even though suffering is not an index of a person's sin, there definitely is a natural result of living a sinful and unrepentive life. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. He wants us to live the good life, the life in him. And Paul reminds us of this in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So church, I don't want us to buy into this cheap version of Christianity. I don't want us to buy into this idea that the only thing that separates our life from the life of an unbeliever is our attendance here on Sunday, but I want us to embrace transformation in every aspect of our lives and seek God's empowerment to do the impossible. 
And I also want to close here just with three questions of application for you to um, consider and to reflect on. If you need to write them down or take a picture or if you can just think about them in this moment, this is going to help us as a church, just really practical way of what does this look like next week? Having been come under the authority of God's word, how do we then actually learn and grow to be more like Christ, live a transformed and empowered life? The first question there is what is one way in which I'm experiencing helplessness or discontentment in life? And then whatever you, whatever you think of, just pray for healing and transformation. Confess that before God and say, I need help in this area. I cannot do it alone in my own strength. What is one biblical instruction, or maybe it's a specific call of Jesus that I'm not living out? Start with repentance. God, I've failed in this area. I've been ignoring your voice in my life. I haven't taken that opportunity for whatever reason. Repent and then pray that God would help you. And then finally, what's one way I can demonstrate God's love and mercy to others? You know, we are all made in the image of God. And the more we read scripture, the more we read through this awesome gospel of John, we see Jesus and Jesus shows us the Father and the the heart of the Father is one of mercy and love and compassion to a man who had no way to help himself. So would you too consider and pray, who is it that God's bringing to mind that you can extend that same love and mercy to this week? I'm going to pray for us now as we seek to live this out. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for um, this example of your healing power, your transformative power. That God, in the call that you give us, we know that you'll give us the capacity as well and the ability to move forward into whatever it is that you have for us. So, Spirit of God, may you just strip back any sense of fear or shame or, or guilt that is holding us back from living this life that you've called us to. And help us to get really practical with our own discipleship to you, Jesus, not just to get swept away again in the tyranny of the urgent this week, but to stop and consider in what way am I experiencing helplessness? How, God, can you be in those spaces? What instruction, what call have you placed on my life that I'm not living out? And how can I show that love and mercy to others? Jesus, would you help us to do that this week? We pray in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. For more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button And let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek Him in your daily life. God bless.